Hey everybody, I'm Abigail. This is the show where I ask people where they came from, where they're going, and what fulfills them along the way. I want to start off by saying welcome to all my new listeners. I hope we can be friends through the magic that is the internet. And thank you also to everyone who stuck through every episode. It means a lot that y'all continue to come back. So what I have going on today is a conversation with my friend Sarah Nash. She grew up in Papua New Guinea as a missionary kid. This conversation is like a trip back in time to another world. It made me think a lot about what actually matters. I hope it inspires you as much as it did me. On a scale of 1 to 10, how nervous are you? I'm pretty nervous because Brady was the one that actually messaged you and said that I would love to do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Sarah, I had to do one, and so you're going to have to do one too. And so then he grabbed my phone and messaged you, and I was like, Brady! Oh no, that is so funny. So that I'm a little happens. bit nervous, but that's okay. Yeah. Maybe like... a. An 8 out of 10. Okay, so how about we just chat for a minute and get that nervousness down? Okay. So, you're about to have a baby literally any minute. Yes, I'm like 9 months pregnant. Yeah? Is it getting any better, each kid? No, it gets worse with every kid. (laughs) Like, more aches and pains. Yeah. How old are you? I am... 28. Man, three kids at 28. Yeah, I'm trying to have them young, so I don't have to have kids when I'm in my 40s. That's fair. Do you have a number at when you're going to stop, or are you just going to keep pumping them out? Well, we don't have a number yet, but Brady is pretty okay with only having maybe one or two more. Oh, dear. And... I I love kids, so I wouldn't mind having a lot, a big family. Yeah. So <laughs> we haven't really just, we've discussed it quite a bit, but we haven't really come to any conclusions. And we have three girls and I really want a boy. So I think we'll keep going until we get a boy and okay. then maybe stop. That's really sweet. I'm glad you like kids. Why Why do you think you like kids? Well, I'm learning as I go. I actually didn't have much experience with little kids until I had my own. So I don't know. They're just like a gift from God, and they add so much excitement to life. They're a lot of work, but I just started homeschooling my little toddler. Mm -hmm. We're just doing like preschool stuff, but she's like coming alive, and she's like counting. She's counting from... One to ten, but she always skips two. So I'm oh, trying to cute. get her to learn how to say two. Yeah. So she's counting. How old is she? Is she four? 
She's three. She turns four in in June. Yes. She's my oldest. And then Willow turns two in January. Nice. Yeah. How are your nerves? They're doing okay. Have we gone it's down from an eight yet? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Do we need to keep chatting for a minute? No, we're good. Okay. Start. So, what is your favorite animal? My favorite animal is a raccoon. And it's been a raccoon since eighth grade. And I don't really know why. <laughs> I guess they're like mysterious. And I think they're really cute. And I could draw like a really good cartoon raccoon when I was younger. So I just always thought that was the best animal. <laughs> that is the best response I have gotten. What's your favorite article of clothing? Hmm. Well, right now I'm really into summer dresses because I'm pregnant and they're the most comfortable thing to wear. But I'm really a big fan of like big baggy sweatshirts. Yes. Because they're comfy and I like being comfortable when I wear clothes. I'm not one to dress up. Same. Yeah. All right. So we will get into the weeds here. And I will be honest that this is so beyond anything that I've really thought about before that I have no idea if I'm even asking good questions. So you'll have to help me out a little bit. So where were you born? So I was born in Papua New Guinea which is an island above Australia, for those of you who don't know. My mom had me on like a volcanic island, which is sort of interesting. Was it live? And, yeah. That is so exciting. Yeah. Was it like a home birth or were there any midwives there? Actually, she gave birth to a, or with this guy, as her doctor, who was a Catholic doctor. And crazy story, a year after he helped deliver me, we found out, or I didn't find out, I, I heard the story through my parents, but they found out that he had died by going up to the volcano and exploring and hitting his head on a rock or something. So it wasn't like he fell into the volcano and died. Oh. <laughs> but... He somehow died while up exploring that same volcano that was on the island. And I used to tell my friends that story all the time. That is a I crazy, just thought it was cool. <laughs> that is a crazy cool story. So why were you born in Papua New Guinea? So my parents are still over there. They're translators with Wycliffe Bible translators. And I was born over there like... Well, yeah, 28 years ago. That's crazy. So they've been over there for 30 years now translating, mm -hmm. and they still have quite a bit of the Bible to go. They've done about 78% of the New Testament, but they still have the whole Old Testament. So we'll see if they can get to that before their retiring age because they're getting up there. Yeah. So are you the oldest my brother is older than me. He's two years older than me. And so they moved over there when he was a little, okay. a little baby. And yeah. How many siblings do you have? I have 
a younger sister as well. Okay, and you're the second slash yes, middle. I'm the middle middle child. <laughs> I can see that. You're such a chill, peacemaking personality. When I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> How did your parents get involved in in this uh Wycliffe translation mm-hmm. missionary group? Yeah, so my parents uh, my dad, he, when he was eight years old, he felt called to be a missionary to Papua New Guinea. He just like, he had this, some experience where he felt like he was going to be a missionary to Papua New Guinea. And that's what God wanted him to do. And so he grew up and he went and pursued a bunch of other things. And he just felt like at war, like his spirit was at war. And he finally submitted to God and he was like, okay, I'll do, I'll do this translation thing. So he went to Dallas seminary school and he met my mom there. And then they moved over to Papua New Guinea together after they were married. And my mom was not the literary type person that they were looking for, for Bible translation, but because she was married to my dad, they actually accepted her into the program. So she actually was going to fail oh. the the trial run, like to get Interesting. into. Yeah. Because she just can't pick up on languages as fast as my dad can. So they were like, this would never work, but you're married to Jonathan. So therefore we're going to let you in. And I've always <laughs> thought that was really mean of them to say. <laughs> um, yeah. Interesting. My mom, my mom has a lot of other skills that, definitely play into the role of a missionary wife so sure yeah so tell me a little bit about this missionary thing when I imagine missionaries I just imagine one family just out in this (laughs) village but it sounds like there's an organization and a base behind it yeah so there's like a whole support team that is on this mission center and ours was called Ukarumpa. And I think it's like one of the largest ones in the world. That's what I've heard. Um, with the most like missionaries out that are based out of. Yeah. So there's a bunch of like, there's I, IT guys, like tech guys that help with the translators. There's a bunch of like printing people that help. And there's a bunch of school teachers and financing people. Mm-hmm. And it all, they all help support the missionary, like the Bible translators, when they go out to their allocated villages. And then the missionaries have, the translators have a place to come back to, to refresh themselves and also refuel like different food items if they, they run out of food. Yeah. So Hmm. that's where we spent like half of our time. And then the other half we spent out in the jungle. Wow. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your home life. What about it? Well, so, like, did you have a good relationship with your parents, or were they really busy? Okay. Just kind of what was the environment like? Yeah. So it is different than, like, say, my husband's family. Like, his mom, her job was just, like, being a mom Mm -hmm. and my mom had the job of supporting my dad and helping him with the translation. So I guess I didn't really realize it, but 
in a way, I was sharing my parents with, with the work that they're doing. Um, but I, I don't think I have any bitterness towards them mm-hmm. because of that. Um, I've always understood like why it was important and the work that they're doing is what they felt like God wanted them to do. And so I have a really good relationship with both of them still. My mom actually was going to come visit right before the whole COVID mm-hmm. thing happened, which was sort of sad because mm-hmm. I get to see her like once a year. Now, every time she comes, she comes back at least once a year and I don't get to see my dad as much, but yeah. So does that answer the question? I think so. Yeah. Were you homeschooled by your parents or what was the schooling situation? For the first little bit, for my primary school, that's what we call it there. I think it's, Mm -hmm. what's it called here? It would still be primary school. Primary school. We were homeschooled out in the village. But then once you get into seventh grade, which is the beginning of middle school, we stay back on the mission center in what they call children homes. And we have like dorm parents. And there's about like 12 other students that live in the same house as us. So they have the boy hall and the girl hall. And then we eat like in the same place every day. Like we have like a center dining room and living room area. And so it was like this big house that we all shared. And I had some really good times with, because I mean, you you put a bunch of middle school middle schoolers together and high schoolers and yeah. you just have a blast like yeah that's a good time so you guys yep. all got along there weren't any weird conflicts with my friends mm-hmm. or with well with the friends and with the parents oh the parents yeah well i had so many different parents so they they hopped me around from probably like seven different children homes which is unusual usually they keep you with the same mm-hmm one so I had like seven different sets of parents interesting and is this so because you were such favorites. a naughty kid no I actually maybe I I don't really know the reason behind it <laughs> that was I a joke because it. I truly cannot imagine you being naughty it just somehow worked out that me and my siblings would be the ones maybe it was my brother he was pretty rebellious okay so you got to stay with your actual siblings though yeah, that's yeah. good. So we always put, yeah, you with your siblings. Was this troubling to you as a child to be moved from parents to parents? I don't, I don't remember it being troubling, and I'm trying to like think of like how it affected me. But I think I just thought it was really fun to get to know the different cultures because one of my. Um, a couple of my parents, well, a couple that were my parents, they were from Finland. So when I was with them, I got to, a lot to know about their culture and the way they do things and the way they cook. And then I moved to another set of parents that were from Pennsylvania. And so I got to try a lot of like Amish cooking. And hmm. yeah, so I I just thought it was really fun. Yeah. Um, I think it was hard like when I was in seventh grade and I was getting used to it but I think my brother had it the hardest because he was the first one who had to be sent away from our parents and 
And it was only, so it was only like three months at a time at the most that we usually were apart from our parents and then they would come back. So would it be like three months on, three months off? Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't as bad as like a boarding school. Like that's what I was envisioning was boarding school. Okay. Interesting. I think it's a really good system. I actually wanted to be a, a children home parent. So if that means anything, I think that means I had a good experience if I wanted to go I would back. say so. Yeah. I think those are my questions as far as that aspect of things. Yeah. Um, are there a bunch of different languages in Papua New Guinea? Is it one central language? What is the deal? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like this. So the island is like the size of California. Okay. So I... I my parents always would give that description when they would go and speak. Mm-hmm. And so that's always stuck with me. And it has 800 different languages Holy. within that island. Why? Yeah. Because it's so, like, the terrain is so crazy and there's no roads in every village system. Like, mm-hmm. our village system has probably, like, uh, maybe, like, 30 or 50 different villages up and down a river and they all speak the same language. But then you go over the range, the mountain range and they speak a completely different language. And I think also it has something to do with cannibalism. Oh, so no one ever like wants to meet and mingle. They never mingled. Yes. What is the language that your parents were working with? What is that language called? It's called Binandari. Oh, is the language. Yeah. Do you know any of it? No. I know, like, I know it sounds horrible, but I just never really learned very much of it. And I regret that now, of course. I know, like, a few phrases. Do you want me to say something? Sure. Okay. Um, this means good morning. Sipodave. That's a pretty and language. It, it is, is a pretty really language. pretty. Yeah. I like it. What's another one? Munyandave. That means good night. I really don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still pretty. Wow. So, this language, did it have any alphabet? Was there any written language? Or did this organization that your parents work with, did they have to kind of invent it? Yeah, that's a good question. My dad actually was the one who came in and had to to make the language or like make the alphabet for them. Oh so goodness. they're very oral where they pass down stories from word of mouth. That is so exciting. So at the same time that your dad is trying to translate, are they also trying to teach the natives how to read? Yeah, my mom, she really started getting a lot more involved once we were out of the house, like the three of us were, were gone and I'm um, in college. So she's doing classes every week with the ladies and the girls there. And it's so impressive that she has these memory verse challenges for the girls. And one of the girls learned 150 verses in like a week or something like that. What? Yeah. So they're very intelligent and they're really wanting to learn. And so my parents are taking, you know, trying to give them the tools to help them. These kids that your mom is working with, they don't know how to read. 
right? So the basic education that people usually get is anywhere from second grade and earlier. Like that's the highest education they'll get, like a second grade education. So they do have schools there that they're, that they go. And I, and I think they learn, um, the trade language as well, which is what everyone in the entire, all the towns and the more civilized places they, they speak. And it's called talk pizen. And it's like a pigeon English. And it's what the trade, the traders came up with when they were settling there. And yeah, so that's what the kids in school are learning and then but they don't really get much more of an education just because their parents can't afford it Mm -hmm. and they don't have good teachers being sent out to the villages Mm -hmm. um yeah so that is crazy so where I was going with that question is I'm curious if that girl might be a lot better at memorizing because I hear that before writing was a thing that oral civilizations like that just had so much stronger memories because they didn't have the ability to write, take a note to remember stuff that they just had to remember everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably, it's probably true. And they don't have like all the distractions that our modern cultural culture has with like technology that Mm. make your attention span so short. So they probably have a larger capacity sure. yeah, to remember things. And you said that they have 75% of the New Testament done? Yeah, yep. They're, they're getting quite a lot done now that they're not raising kids anymore. I think we took up a lot of their time as well. So, And my dad is getting more and more confident with the language. Sure. But it's cr- it's crazy. I'll talk to him on the phone and he'll tell me a little bit about what he's translated. And he's like, yeah, I had to come up with a few different words for like sheep because they don't know what a sheep is or a shepherd. So he has to like really sit down and talk with these men that he's working with and figure out what would work in their language. Like it, which is crazy to me. Like so much work goes into into this process that they're doing, which is why it's taking so long. Wow. This is one of the most fascinating things I have ever heard. So is your dad the only person who is working on this or is there a team of translators? Yeah. So he has, he started out with one team and now he has two different teams from one is from one village down the river and then one from our village and each team has three or four guys in it. And so he meets with them every other week okay. when he's out there. Yeah. Interesting. Because, yeah. I would love to talk to your dad. You know, he is very interesting. Yeah. He could talk for hours on this subject because he knows a lot that I don't really know. I am I have a lot more questions, but this podcast can only be so long. What is the the diet like? What food is grown there and what yeah. kind of animals do you eat? That kind of thing. So the main source I'm looking for a word, can't think of it. I think that I think source substance. Is right. Yeah. 
main substance that they eat is bananas and sweet potato. And yeah, that's basically those two things are like what they eat all the time. And then they have just a whole host of produce, anything you can think of, like pineapples and papayas and guavas. Mm. Do you know what guavas are? I've never tasted one, but I've They're so seen good. them on the internet. <laughs> we used to climb up the trees because they're really good climbing trees and pick like the greenest ones we could find because that means that they're the ripest if they're like a right the right color green like a lime color green and then you just bite into it and it's like pink inside i miss guavas so much anyway and then there's cherry guavas which are like a smaller variety of the same thing which we picked all the time too i miss the fruit if you can't tell sure they yeah just i was so getting that vibe <laughs> So do they eat animals there? Are they herders of any sort? Yeah, so the animals they eat are like pigs okay. and chickens. They raise their own pigs and chickens. And then they they have like wild hogs they chase in the village or in the jungle, sorry. And then they have this thing called a tree kangaroo, which is really common for them to, to hunt. And a, I can, I can only think of the native name, a, a couscous, that's what they call it. But it's like a tree animal as well. It's sort of like a sibling, it's like a cousin to a koala bear in a way. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then of course, like fish and. Sure, because it's tropical and ocean. Mm hmm. Yep. You guys as missionaries, did you just eat the native food or as a missionary organization where you guys brought extra food? We had our food like on the mission center that would be shipped in from Australia. So we would have some like American type food in a store there. We have one little store on the center. And so like sometimes there wouldn't be peanut butter. You'd run out of peanut butter and everyone would go and try to find peanut butter at the store and sometimes like there would be like huge shipments that would come in but yeah basically like when we would go out out to the village we would have to pack anything mm -hmm. that we would want to take with us that was like packaged food and then my we would just the market food that they would sell us the the natives in the jungle when we were there what do the natives look like? What are their body types? How big are they? So they're pretty like, they're pretty physically fit, obviously. So they have big bones and they have really big noses. My sister's actually married to a half Papua New Guinean. So okay. I'm excited. We're going to have little Papua New Guineans in our bloodline. <laughs> um but they have really curly hair mm -hmm. and really dark skin. And yeah, it's like a different, it's like a variety of different colors wherever you go, like sure. of different browns. Yeah. So some of them are really dark. Hmm. Um, yeah. How tall are they? They're not very tall. Like they're, they're not too short, but they're medium. So <laughs> like five, eight ish or taller, you think? Five, eight. Yeah. They're, they're about the same size as me. Okay. 
Yeah. Interesting. So it's pretty remote. How do things get there? Are there vehicles? Are there roads? Do you have to fly in? We do. We have to fly in. And we used to have like an airstrip that we could fly a plane in to, but it just got so overgrown and it was too hard to keep up. And so we started flying in by helicopter. So we have like a little soccer soccer field that we we come in on too. And the kids are so good at hearing the helicopter from far away. So you can see them running from their village, like the different villages, and they're just running as fast as they can, like little ants. Cute. And then they meet meet us when we land the helicopter. Oh, yeah. that's cute. Is there any cell phone service there? Like, is there any communication with the outside world? I don't know what it is like now. My parents still can't get internet there. They have to have radio, like a handheld radio that they use. But they were starting to get cell phone coverage. Like, or people at least were carrying cell phones around, pretending like they could use them. I don't think there's actually cell service out there yet. Gotcha. So I know you talked to my husband about Elon Musk. Yeah, and and his worldwide internet. yeah. Yeah. So maybe in the future... They'll have yeah. internet out there. Huh. What are the creepiest little animals or critters that live there? Are there lots of snakes? Oh, man. That's why I, my husband doesn't ever want to move to the tropics. I've tried to convince him we need to move <laughs> to Papua New Guinea instead of living in Alaska. <laughs> but he is against it because there's scorpions, there's centipedes. Oh, there's I think I'm with Brady snakes. on this one. I yeah, hate and snakes. huge spiders. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, I'm with Brady. So yeah. are you, like, as cool as a cucumber when you see big spiders in your house and stuff? Just like no. this? Oh. <laughs> I mean, like, if they're tiny, I'm like, okay, that's nothing compared to what I grew up with. But I remember being so spooked out when I would go at night in the, to the bathroom. Like, I would go down the hall, and I would see one with my flashlight. And it would just, like, scurry across the floor. And, oh, they're so big. So big. Like tarantulas? Yeah. They look oh. like tarantulas. Did you? Yeah, would you ever, like, wake up and one would be on you? No. I think the scariest thing that – oh, because you know why? We have mosquito nets. So at night oh, okay. we're in clothes. Yeah. So definitely there probably would have been spiders in our beds if we didn't have mosquito nets. Icky. But my parents have a story about when my brother was little, a snake was hovering above his bed in the rafters. And somehow, like, my dad just had the instinct to go check on him. And he found the snake, like, just sitting up there. Was it a poisonous one? I think so. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. This This is terrifying. God bless anyone who lives where there are snakes. I know. We have it good, don't we? Yeah. In Alaska, kind of... are there many of those creepy things? No, not really. I think that's why Brady likes living up here. Yeah. Man, I am getting more endeared to Alaska by the second. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be your next door neighbor any minute. Please, um, that would be so fun. <laughs> I've been really thinking that I really want to come visit you. I even looked up plane tickets the other day. 
finally, we've been trying to convince you guys. I know. I don't know. I just kind of always felt like there's so many cool places to visit. But then the crazier the world gets, the more I want to retreat into seclusion. And so the more endearing Alaska seems. I know. Yes. And this year, it's been especially nice, like being sort of apart from all the crazy stuff that's been going on. Yeah. Yeah. Okie dokie. Back to the animals. So, my brother Brian said that Brady had mentioned these crazy raptor-like bird dinosaur things. Yeah. Is this real? Please describe them. And what are they called so I can look up pictures? So, they're called pterodactyls. Oh! I don't know. Yeah, pterodactyls. You know? I had the wrong word. Pterodactyls. That is so exciting. It is exciting, and it's actually, like, really interesting because the people in our village, because they're oral people and they, like, pass down the stories, they have many stories about seeing these birds and these huge birds that have taken away children and, like, you know, just different things. And we've also, like, known different missionaries who have claimed that they've seen them. So I think they're still out there, and I think they're still like a form of dinosaur in a sense that's still alive. That is so exciting. Oh, my goodness. Um, I've never seen one. Yeah, so they they aren't very common. That's unfortunate. No. I also don't want you to feel like I wouldn't want to feel like I'm only interesting because of what my parents do. So I don't want you to feel like that. It's okay. I I think, like, a lot of missionary kids do struggle with that, though, because a lot of my friends, like, and even my brother, he does not like talking about Papua New Guinea, and I'm always confused why. And I think that you hit right on the spot, like, why some people don't like to talk about it. But I don't feel that way, so you're good. (laughs) Good. (laughs) That would have been an awkward end to the podcast. (laughs) What is the, I was thinking about missionaries and how you would go about preaching the gospel to people who have probably never heard it and how Paul, I think it was Paul mentioned something about when he's with the Jews, he kind of acts more like a Jew to make them feel more comfortable. And when he's with the Gentiles, he'll act a little bit more like a Gentile. Is there a little bit of that? like trying to fit into the culture a little bit so you aren't so off-putting? I don't know how to ask this question. Well, yes, there is definitely like a big step that we take when we go out to the village. Like we leave behind a lot of our nicer possessions because these people, they basically have like maybe one set of clothes that they own, maybe two. And so they're very like, they're very rich in other ways, but they don't have possessions mm. like like we do in the Western culture. So there's definitely that that my parents like try to fit in in the sense that they're not just showing off that they have all this stuff. And we go barefoot because they go barefoot. I somewhat think that we could have done a better job at fitting in mm-hmm. with them. Just like looking back and like thinking of 
especially living on the mission center. I know that we were surrounded by a bunch of Papua New Guineans also that lived around the center and how they viewed us is probably not a very, honestly, not a very good portrayal of what it's like to be a believer. I don't think we did a good job personally. I can't speak for everyone, but yeah, there's definitely something going on that's called the cargo cult that a lot of the natives believe. And they think that, um, I, I don't know much about it, but they think that Americans just come in and land their planes and they have all these like boxes of things that they bring. And they're like, where does this stuff come from? Mm. And so they, they almost like think that the white people are gods. And so mm. like, it's just this weird clash of the Western culture mm-hmm. mixing with an animistic culture mm. and just like not having a medium ground. Like mm-hmm. it's just these two completely different things mixing. And that's where that comes from. Like, yeah. I don't know if that even makes sense, but it makes sense. I have heard that a lot of prosperity gospel teachers, for example, Benny Hinn. Do you know, are you familiar with him? I haven't heard his name. No. Well, that's not super important, but (laughs) the point is that they would have a lot of success when they would go into impoverished countries But they would go with the explicit purpose of showing off their stuff. And that's how they would try, they would try to convert people to Christianity because the prosperity gospel is all about God just wants to bless you. And by bless you, he means physical material things. So they would just convert Mm -hmm. people because look at our shiny American stuff. So that's pretty crazy. It would be hard. Like even as a missionary, you would, Try not to be show-offy and bring in all this fancy stuff, but still, you're going to have things like canned peanut butter that yeah, is, would exactly. still be a luxury. Mm-hmm. So no, no matter how much we would try to leave behind, we still would, in their eyes, appear really rich. And I can't imagine what they think of, honestly, what they think of us kids when they see pictures yeah. that my parents are showing them of, like, the houses that we live in and different things. I almost hope that my parents aren't showing them pictures of of us because we're just from so different worlds. Like, yeah, man, it it would be really fun to go back. I haven't been back there since I left from um, graduating high school. So I would love to take my family and show my husband where I grew up. Yeah. So this reminds me of a question. Did you ever travel to America when you were growing up or was your first time in America when you came for college? I came back two different or maybe three different times. So I came back when I was like roughly every five years. So when I was three years old and when I was in seventh grade and then when I was, oh, sorry, I missed second grade. I think we came back. Okay. What is the religious landscape of the natives. Yeah, so it's animistic. Is I don't really know right? what that word means. Okay, so spiritual, like everything is spirit, has spirit, like animals and trees and Interesting. Yeah. So 
they think like your dead your dead ancestors come back in different forms and speak to you and okay yeah reincarnation similar to hinduism maybe i think so but not the same thing okay yeah but sort of yeah sort of similar to that so very very spooky like yeah being a part of that culture yeah so i wanted to ask if you have any really crazy spooky stories well i actually was yeah i heard of a lot of different things that were happening as a little kid and so i was like terrified of the dark and i'm still like getting over that that was like something that's traumatizing for me and something that i've carried on through <laughs> into my adulthood which is really unnatural i shouldn't be scared of the dark <laughs> Like, but I'm terrified of it. So I don't really have a personal story, but I have another story of another missionary family. This happened to them. And I guess I'll tell it. They, they knew this lady who always like came into their house when she was alive or no, she always wanted to come into their house and visit, but they never really let her come in and they never invited her in. And then she passed away. And so a few like weeks later after her death, the guy, the missionary was laying in bed at night and he started like he heard footsteps on the roof and then he heard footsteps in the house and then he heard the silverware oh rattling. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this. And so he, he, came out and he like looked around and he couldn't see anyone. The door was still locked. And so it didn't make sense to him. And then the next day he like was talking to people and he found out that this lady, he didn't know, but he found out from them that she had always wanted to go into his house. Mm -hmm. So they were convinced that it was her spirit. So just different stuff like that, like stories that of people that I knew personally that I was like, I don't think they'd be making that stuff up. Like, I think that might've actually happened. Like I, I'm a believer. And so I believe that there is a spiritual realm well, sure. and there's definitely stuff going on. So anyways, that just spooked me out for the longest time. I'd be like laying in bed and I'd be like, Oh no, I'm going to hear the silverware rattling. Yeah. So yeah, that is a terrifying story. I think the scariest story in the entire Bible, there's lots of really horrifying things in there, but it's when King Saul goes to consult the medium to talk yeah. to Samuel, and it works. Yeah, it is, that actually happened. Like, apparently that's a real thing that can happen. It is so scary to me. Yeah. So scary. Sorry, I, f I have a little bit of a cold. Is allergy season really bad down there? Because it's been a really bad year up here for it. I actually don't know because I have never really dealt with allergies. Is this just a cold? Yeah, this is just a cold. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think it's the Rona, but it might be the Rona. I, oh, I don't yeah. want to get tested. I don't want them to stick that thing all the way up into my brain. Not in. Yeah, no. Nope. <laughs> well, I, I hope you're going to be okay. Oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. It's just my, I can hear the voice in my headphones. And I'm slowly starting to sound more and more plugged up as we talk. It's funny. So, where did you go to college? Yeah, so I went to college in 
Spokane, Washington, in a, at a school that doesn't really exist anymore, but it's now a new school. But it was a part of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, so it was like a branch. Oh, okay. Off of that school. Yeah. Yeah. What was? What are some of the most shocking, like, culture things for you? That yeah. Um, one of the major things was like that I had to wear shoes everywhere I went and (laughs) that you had to be inside all the time. Like Mm. I would like when I moved there, I would literally just like sit out on my front step and like want to be outside all the time. Cause in Papua New Guinea, you just, you basically live outside except for at night going sleep and Yeah. And then another shocking thing was the amount of choices at in like Walmart. Sure. It's like 10 different kinds of peanut butter. We didn't even usually have peanut butter in the store. So yeah. Very overwhelming. Yeah. Is America extremely materialistic? Um, you want my honest opinion? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, like, I mean, this is completely generalizing a lot of people, but I mean, I, I think it is like, and whenever my, whenever my mom comes and visits me, she's like, oh my goodness, like you have four couches. We actually only have one couch, but I don't know why I said we have four couches. (laughs) Just a random example. Yeah. And she's like, man, like the people out there would kill to just even have one like little tiny couch or a seat or something but i don't know it's just different cultures and then you have the minimalistic culture that's coming into play so is the gospel different in america like do we i don't know if i'm asking this question correctly but i feel like there's a really big movement that has been happening for a while in america that that's very prosperity gospel driven Hmm. and really self-centered gospel did you get this vibe at all i don't know like i've been living here for like 10 years now so if you had asked me like when i first got here i probably would have a different answer okay i don't know i i started honestly i started my journey as a believer in college when i was in america so yeah that was one of How my questions. Ex- Go ahead. Yeah. I had prayed the prayer um, many times <laughs> to ask Jesus into my heart. <laughs> and just, it, but everything sort of clicked into place when I moved out on my own. And I was like, oh, this isn't my parents' thing. It's something that I have to make a decision for myself. And so, yeah. Um, so I don't, I'm basing the church experience off of, what I've experienced since moving back here. So I don't really know how to answer that question, I guess. That's okay. What was your major in college? Biblical studies. It was going to be um, intercultural ministries because I was just like, oh, I'll just do what my parents do because I didn't really know sure. what I wanted. And then I got there and I was just like, man, I love studying the Bible classes. And I just, and I only could see myself as a mom. And so I was like, well, this would really be helpful. Like I can teach my children the word of God. So that's what I got my degree in. 
Is this a four-year degree? Yes. What are some of the interpretation skills that they teach you? Well, like we we took a lot of like old survey, like testament, old testament survey classes, and then they taught us like the basics of how to read a passage of scripture and get like into it culturally, uh-huh. and to read like the text around it, and just like how to read scripture in the right way. Right. And make um, sure that when you're reading poetry, you remember that you're reading poetry, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes. Like they were showing us like the different, the different types of scripture, like the poet mm-hmm. books. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about Song of Solomon? <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you and Jordan read that when you were dating? No. Were you the, like, did you the guys read that when you were dating? <laughs> or, or when you were engaged? Sorry. No. <laughs> I just feel like that's like the go-to thing that like Christian couples, when they're about to get married, they read through Song of Solomon together. Really? But, yeah. I have never heard of anyone doing that. Oh, really? Maybe it was just like a Bible college thing. So you and Brady <laughs> did that? I don't actually, I don't remember if we have. We were just talking about this a few like weeks ago. We were like, this would be a good a good thing to do together now that we're married. But I don't know if we did it. But I know that my roommates, my roommate was dating this guy and I thought they were so weird. And they were reading Song of Solomon together, like on our couch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is really weird. I think you are correct. Uh, <laughs> oh, that is so funny. Uh, it makes sense that the guy who had like 700 wives would write that book though. right Solomon yeah. yep oh that is so funny so mm-hmm. you met your husband in college yes like the first day but I don't remember oh yeah he, yeah did he remember he, you yes he was my brother's friend and so he actually thought I was going to be really cool like my brother and so he was like oh my goodness like we're going to be the best of friends because Justin is so cool and then he met me and I refused to talk to him because I was scared out of my mind of boys and I was just awkward around the opposite sex. And so, <laughs> it, yeah, it, our relationship oh, did not start until many years later, like three years later, I think oh, we started hanging out. Yeah. So you knew Brady for three years. How long did you guys date before you got engaged? Hmm. Okay, so we started dating in November. And we were engaged by that summer, that next summer. And you got married in December. Yeah, we we didn't have a very long engagement, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, it was pretty quick. Yeah. How about, how about you and Jordan? I actually don't know. We met in 2014. I cannot even believe it. We've essentially been together for five and a half years, basically. Wow. It's crazy. So that was, you met each other and you just. Well, I instantly, instantly liked him. And this is such a funny story. And I like to tease him about it. So he looks really young. And I was 17 at the time. And I thought he was like 14. But (laughs) I thought, this guy is really cool. 
he is not getting away without one of us girls marrying him. And I thought yeah. this on the first day I met him. And then, so I was Little like... Little did you know. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to kind of push one of my friends towards him. But they, in the between the time it took for her to think, like, no, this is just not going to go. I was like, well, he actually isn't as young as I thought, so please get out of the way so I can marry him. And I thought this to myself, that I am going to flirt like my life depends on it. I am going to marry this guy. Wow. Yeah. And he says that I was really cool and didn't feel like I was flirting a lot. So I think my idea of flirting is not very flirty. Was he your first, like, serious, like, person? That you were like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna marry this person. Oh, a hundred percent. I had dated a guy early in high school, but it was very short and short lived. And he wanted to marry me. I did not want to marry him, so I was like, probably shouldn't keep dating. <laughs> 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 so, anywho, Jordan and I, I was very clear that I wanted to be with him, and he was being really stubborn. So it took. Like, six months before he would agree to, like, date. Wow. So he was he was pretty stubborn about it. And it, it was not like a, okay, now we're dating. Like, we just slowly, slowly happened. And then eventually there was no denying that we are together now. And yeah. uh, we got married about two years after we started dating. Okay. Yeah. I love how that works. Like, that's what happened with me and Brady. Not the same way, but how it just sort of, like, slowly, like, transitions into, oh, my goodness, like, we could spend a lifetime together. And, yeah, that's how it happened with Brady. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? I mean, you're a mom. You like being a mom. Yeah. I'm really embracing it. Yeah. It was a a struggle, and it probably will be a struggle in a week when I have three all of a sudden because I feel like I'm in the groove right now and I know what's going on but children are so versatile they change right when you think you got everything down they stop sleeping or something (laughs) (laughs) they're like mom's getting comfortable better do something crazy yeah do you sleep through the night or is there a kid constantly awake they, they do really well, but we actually just moved Isla to a big bed. And so last night was her first night on it, and she fell off a few times. <laughs> so <laughs> last night was sort of a rough night of sleep, but yeah. usually they do pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> so what are what are some of the biggest things that you've learned as a mom? Just being, I mean, I'm still learning this, and this will be a struggle for a long time. I love I think a lot of moms struggle with this, but I love to have control. And when you're a mom, you are constantly fighting for that control. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you don't have control because there's a bunch of messes that happen that you don't expect. And just things are, you know, yeah, like we were just saying, like constantly changing. So that's been hard for me to to realize I'm such a controlling person. And another thing has just been giving up my time for them. I'm a very, I love to be 
a lot of the hobbies that I have are very solitary hobbies and like journaling and guitar playing by myself and and all these things I've had to like start learning that I have to welcome my kids into that like with me because that's just the phase of life that I'm in right now and I will be in that for the next however long and so it really teaches you a lot about being a servant those are the big things that I've learned and I'm still going to be learning tomorrow and the next day (laughs) yeah yeah people always say that having kids is the best thing in the world is it one of the most fulfilling things that you've ever done yes it is and I feel like I'm not gonna really be able to reap those rewards until I'm late like later in life because right now you can't really see the end result and I can't really see all the work that I'm putting in to it being Mm -hmm. rewarded. But um, what's that verse that's really encouraging to me? It's like, do not grow weary in doing good Mm -hmm. because in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So that's like my mom verse that I cling to. I'm like, okay, this is going to pay off in the end. All the work, all the tears, all the laughter. It's not all tears. It's wonderful. It's the best. It really is the best thing. Like having these little kids that look exactly like your husband or you or your mom. They have all these different traits that are just like, whoa, you look so much like me. It's great. Do you ever have a problem where you feel like you're disciplining a kid for acting exactly like you? And then that. Yes. Yeah. That seems like really hard to navigate. Because you're like, maybe I need to go fix myself before I can discipline my kid. Because a kid can see through it. Yeah, and kids are just acting the way you're acting, which is also very scary. Yeah. No kidding. What is your, like, number one or maybe your top couple things that you have taken from your childhood that you were really thankful for? Ooh, that's a really good question. I like the different cultural things that I learned mm-hmm. growing up. Like, so talking about all my different children, home parents, that really reminded me that I have this like rich cultural experience that a lot of people might not have been able to experience. Um, so I really like that. Another one was just being able to grow up as a kid, like out in the jungle and run around and get dirty and get stains in my on my clothes and not have like to be you know that perfect like image of a perfectly like I don't know I guess I'm a tomboy so it was fun growing up being able to swim in a river and get dirty and muddy and yeah I think those top two things and also that my parents were just raised me as a like they were both solid in in their relationship with God and so that really gave me something to cling to you know when I moved out so I'm very thankful for that and the way they raised me and yeah those three things I think yeah have you and Brady have there been any problems based on you guys just being so like literally from different worlds (laughs) It has for me, 
And I don't think so much for him, but I just like the fact that he hasn't even been to Papua New Guinea. I mean, he, sorry, he has, he's actually been over on the other side of the Island. He went over there for his mission or, or sorry, his, um, what's it called? When you go on like your internship, is that what it's called for college? Sure. Yeah. So he went over there to do some stuff with aviation but the fact that he hasn't seen where I grew up and the, and I've seen where he's grown up, I feel like that creates this weird tension within my soul. I'm like, you don't fully understand where yeah. I'm coming from. So maybe that on my part. Yeah, which is a big thing. So <laughs> that is a big deal. It's it is a big deal to totally get where where your spouse is from and getting to get a more complete picture of them. Mhm. Okay, well I guess I'll I'll do my f- final four questions. Do you prefer the office or Parks and Rec? Well, I'm not a big TV series person, but I have watched The Office. Okay. I think once through and it made me cry, so I'll have to say The Office. In Genesis chapters 1 through 11, so we're thinking pre-Abraham. Is this legend or history? Well, I'll have to go with history. Like history that actually happened the way it's written. That's what I believe. Great. Do you believe there are aliens? No. <laughs> I forget what my husband said. Did he say that he believes in aliens? No, he said no, similarly to the way you just did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. We're both on the same page. (laughs) I'm just like, uh, that question is so strange. I'm like, I don't think I believe in aliens. Yeah. Who or what inspires you to be your best self? Hmm. So, I mean, it might sound sort of shallow because it's someone I don't really know that personally, but lately... There's this lady called Sally Clarkson. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's like really influential in, in like raising children. Mm-hmm. And I read her book called The Ministry of Motherhood at the beginning of this year. And it was when I was really struggling with just being a mom of two little kids and toddlers. And I was struggling finding joy in the every day aspect of that. And I read that book and it just like sparked something in me. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this is so, this is so good. And her message. And so then I started listening to her podcasts and she's just like this grandma figure. I don't know. She's just very inspiring to listen to. And she's giving me a lot of hope for what my journey as a mom could be if I put the work in. So yeah, I guess I'll say her. Cool. What's her podcast called? At Home with Sally Clarkson, I think. Perfect. I will leave Yeah. That. Well, that is my final question. This has been really, really nice catching up with you. Yeah. I have enjoyed it tremendously. Thank you for it doing this. Been. You're welcome. Thanks for asking such interesting questions. Yeah. That made me think. Well, it was good to see your face. You too. Bye. Bye.